Analytical Hypnosis and Transforming Therapy, Part 2. Welcome to Hypnotalks. I'm your host, Axel Hombach. I'm a hypnotist and trainer for hypnosis and self-hypnosis in Cologne, Germany. You are listening to a mini-series of three interviews on analytical hypnosis and transforming therapy with me and Dr. John Butler, the founder and director of the HTI in London, the Hypnotherapy Training Institute, and successor of Gil Boyne. John Butler and I have started to talk about what are analytical hypnosis and transforming therapy and what is the difference that makes transforming therapy one of the most influential and seminal methods we still currently have in hypnosis and how has it influenced many of the more current versions of hypnosis. If you haven't listened to the first part of this series, I would like to encourage you to do that either now or directly after you've listened to this episode. I'm very delighted to have Dr. John Butler here again and continue the series on analytical hypnosis and transforming therapy. Hello, John. Glad to have you here again. Hello, Axel. Delighted to be here. John, in our second episode on analytical hypnosis and transforming therapy, I would like to talk about the philosophy and the mindset of transforming therapy. From everything that I learned from you, I know that transforming therapy has a different view on human beings, on clients, on mutual respect, on how to treat and deal with clients. For example, the idea of the deal with what emerges I haven't found so explicitly in other versions of the application of hypnosis. Some have it, others don't have it. I've learned this aspect first in your class. At least, you were the first person to explicitly mention deal with what emerges. From your point of view, John, what would you say is the central philosophy, the central mindset, the underlying aspects that make transforming therapy different to other approaches? Well, Axel, the core of the transforming therapy approach is that human nature is at its core an incredibly creative state and that that creativity can create troubles for ourselves in life but can create solutions and a very much more productive life often than people allow themselves to have. Now to uncover that creativity and bring it to its fullest expression possible is really the goal of the therapy and the therapist. The hypnotist working with the client is seeking to understand the client's way of looking at the world and not imposing their view of how life should be and give them all the solutions to life's problems, but to help them uncover their own strengths, uh, their own limitations and false beliefs, false fixed ideas, and helping them transform them so that they can then go out there and live for as full, a creative, successful life as possible. Now, that idea of the creative nature at the core of our being, we're calling it the creative subconscious mind, is very different to the philosophy of, for example, Freudian thinking or strict behaviorist thinking, and very different to many philosophies of human nature that exist. From what you've just said, John, I understand that 
As the hypnotist in transforming therapy, you have the client discover his own self-image. And at the same time as the hypnotist, you don't impose what you believe is true about the client, but keep yourself out completely and help the client discover him or herself and help the client correct or improve in that way his or her own beliefs in contrast to what they've been in the past and transform the beliefs with the help of the hypnotist into a form that is more appropriate for the current life. Is that a good summary? Yes, that's also a good summary. Hypnosis work is really uh, helping that client take control in their lives and in a very brief number of sessions as possible, usually a very short number of sessions, it is enabling the client to discover for themselves what they need to know, what they need to change. It's a journey, it's a process, as opposed to, well, we'll simply give him some suggestions based on what we have already decided should be the suggestions for the problem as it appears, as they've explained it often, which is a very limited understanding of their problem. And then with that kind of canned approach, that very dumbed-down approach to hypnotherapy, we expect the client to grow and change. And really that kind of change may be very superficial, maybe just very much grafted onto the client, and doesn't really last. As even Freud discovered well over 100 years ago, that simple suggestion programming work using hypnosis is very often short-term and superficial and is very soon the problems re-emerge and the client hasn't learned a great deal about their own power and about how to take their lives forward in the way that is really the very best for themselves, coming from within themselves as opposed to coming from the therapist. As you mentioned superficial suggestions or simple suggestions, I remember from the videos that I watched of Gil Boyle's work, when he worked with his clients, he spent a lot of time uncovering the false beliefs or the limiting beliefs. This seems to me to be one of the core aspects of transforming therapy, that one spends the necessary time in uncovering the fixed ideas before you even begin hypnosis or start thinking about analytical hypnosis, for example, with regression. Absolutely. If you take a problem that the client brings that may not even need regression for its resolution, but does require very effective programming methods, to know what's the very best programming for the client, it's important to know the nature of the problem. Uh, at some level, at a sufficient level, so that the right suggestion, the most beneficial suggestions, the most effective suggestions can be developed and applied for the client. So without that information coming up from within the client, one is simply imposing a theoretical view of the problem and a theoretical solution to the problem that's coming from the therapist. Now, Gil Boyne as any good therapist, will spend the time looking into the nature of the issues and deciding whether, and based on what the client is revealing, dealing what emerges, will enable us to know whether to go back in time to have a more in-depth analysis of the issues or whether one can get on with some very effective programming. And to know about programming, properly speaking, needs a proper training. 
And Gil Boyne was one of the first people, probably the first person, to really begin to delineate the important factors in how to do good programming. The appropriate development of hypnotic language, how to develop vocal skills, the use of various methods that included visualization, creative use of the imagination, in the most effective way, so that programming becomes a very sophisticated art, a very effective art. And if we have two therapists working on the same problem using programming, but using different forms of suggestions and programming, they can have very, very different effects, very different outcomes for that client. So that's important to recognize. The amount of information and training that the therapist has in programming is very critical. Now, when you look at going back into the roots of the problem, the early experiences perhaps, the traumatic material that's created these problems for the client, how the client has interpreted or misinterpreted these events in their past, well, it's not simply a matter of going back, uncovering that material, even though that's quite a a task in itself, to know you're on the right track, that you've really got to some of the core issues to do with the problem. But even when you've done that effectively, if your approach is simply, all right, now we've got the material where the problem started. First of all, you need very good programming methods to deal with that material. But you might also understand that the client's readiness for change, motivation for change, the quality of therapeutic relationships, issues about impasse. So many factors will determine how much the client will let go of the past material and move on, as opposed to thinking, well, oh, we have found the original problem, and now that the client can see that, he will automatically change, which is not true. Or, if he's not changing, then we mustn't have found the original problem, which is equally fallacious. So, one needs quite a sophisticated approach to know precisely where the issues are arising from and helping the client then deal with what emerges during that regression. And then the therapist being able to do the effective programming at that point. I believe you've mentioned a very important point there, John. The readiness for change. I've learned that in transforming therapy, the readiness for change plays a central role, bringing the client from what you call the expectation to fail, from the will to fail to the will to live, to quote Hutschnecker. So that a large part of the session in transforming therapy sessions can involve to establish the readiness for change, the will to change, before you even think about other steps, as for example, uncovering, etc. Well, absolutely, because the principles of change have been talked about for probably as long as therapists have existed, even going back into classical antiquity. But since William James in the 19th century talked about the difficulty of change in human nature, the desire for change, but the opposing forces that inhibit or even block change, that's very important for therapists to understand and to deal with in therapy. So we cannot assume that because the client changes, it's all uh, magically the result of the suggestions we've given. Or if they don't change, well then, we haven't given the right suggestions. There are so many other factors to do with the motivation and commitment for change and helping the client maximize 
their motivation for change. I often use a metaphor when I talk to my clients that when you enter a taxi and you tell the taxi driver to drive and then 10 minutes later you ask if you have already arrived, what will the taxi driver say then? Well, where did you want me to drive? Where did you want to go? And that is also an aspect of transforming therapy, that it makes very clear where the client wants to go or intends to go. Well, absolutely. The first step in therapy is always about setting the goals for the therapy. And that's within the context of the therapeutic relationship. But it must be set out at the beginning, coming from the client. Even if... <laughs> What the client gives you is very inadequate. It's for the first step in them taking responsibility for the processes of change in therapy and overall in the process of taking control and responsibility for their lives. And the goals are theirs. However much the therapist knows what's beneficial, what he believes to be beneficial for the client, the goals must be really owned by the client. So we help them formulate goals and help them then commit to those goals and very often that's a step that's lacking with beginning therapists. They're often poor at clarifying and establishing the goals and then subsequently <laughs> to a great extent the motivation for the goals. That's the goal but how much do you want it, need it, are going to commit to it. That all has to come into play very quickly into the therapy. Would you also say that unless we have managed to establish a goal, we are not yet ready in the process of the hypnotic session to start with the uncovering methods? Or would you already use uncovering methods to set the goal? Uh, it's very important that the client sets the first step at a, a genuine goal setting. Now, the goals will develop, and very often what the client thinks is the goal is not really the goal. But it is still a step for them to make a commitment. That's a step for their therapy and in clarifying their own mind. Now, as we go on and do work with the uncovering methods and further therapeutic work on what's processing, what's uncovered, there will be much greater clarity about goals. But at the very beginning, it is important to get the client to commit to the very first steps of therapy and the goal for each session of the therapy. You mentioned the goal for each session. Would you say that in transforming therapy it is valid for the client to change his or her goals in the sessions developing? Well absolutely because provided they are not just so indecisive and have no clear goal and so really are just going from one wish or hope to the next as opposed to a defined goal, which we, in the business world, they, people talk about a goal being smart, specific, measurable, achievable, etc. And that is, of course, all come from hypnotherapy. The subconscious won't respond effectively to vague abstractions. Now, as the client goes through their therapy, as symptoms change, as they improve, as they change certain things within themselves and their lives, of course the goal will evolve. They may get to the point where they don't need the therapy any longer. They can continue to evolve and achieve more and more success, which have, means having more and more useful, specific goals for themselves and their lives. And in the therapy, 
instead of it being a matter of, well, the client comes in for the next session of therapy and the therapist asks them, how was your week? And they'll give a, a kind of litany of things that happened during the week. And if the therapist says, well, what about the goal? Then the, ther- the client tends to say, well, it's still the same as before. I do And really what the client is not doing at that stage is often not truly committing to changing between sessions, to working effectively enough on the goals so that the goals become more and more clear and specific and are therefore to a certain degree changing with each session and sometimes changing radically. So we hope that the client will be coming in and saying, well, it's interesting since the last time I was here and I've been working well with my homework and programming on doing some gestalt work on myself, for example. I don't need to work on that anymore. I am now focusing instead on this, this, and this, and I would like you to help me with this, this, and this. And that's a very much more interactive form of therapy than a long drawn out, often vaguely defined set of uh, overall goal, which really is not specific enough to generate change. And by the way, the goals are often framed in the negative. I I don't want to be anxious or depressed. And I think it comes from my childhood. I've always been depressed because my mother was depressed. And I think I modeled myself on her being the only girl in the family. Or similar reasoning about their feelings and their behaviors, their mental behaviors. And really their goals are not clear. How they would like to feel, be, to act in life and a therapist gets the client focused into those areas of change very quickly in the therapy but the therapist does not set the goals for the client it's the client's journey of discovery and change i would like to continue our talk john but i'm afraid our time has come to an end for today i would love to continue to talk to you more about regression Because regression is for many people what they think about when they talk or think about analytical hypnosis. And from what I've learned in your classes, analytical hypnosis is actually not only regression. Regression is only a very small part of it as uncovering methods are part of analytical hypnosis and many things more. What do you say, John? In the third part of our mini-series on analytical hypnosis and transforming therapy. Let us continue with regression and how it relates to the philosophy of transforming therapy. Well, Axel, I'd be very happy to talk to you about that. And as you say, regression is one part of therapy and often it's the very easiest part. Clients are often spontaneously regressing uh, with their issues without realizing it living in the past, and sometimes abreacting, going into it. So even the most incompetent of therapists can often regress people. But if the preparatory work has not been done, and if the therapist hasn't got enough knowledge and skills about how to process the material, and to uncover material that makes the regression worthwhile, that you're going to significant events and experiences within the psyche, well, the regression is of very little value in itself. It might in the worst hands even be simply reactivating old, unpleasant or even traumatic material that makes the client feel worse. And so if the client 
is regressed to uh, events in the past and the material is not processed well, uh, there will be complaints about the hypnotherapist uh, on many occasions and we certainly hear of those. So thank you very much again, John, for your insight, for your information, for your time. And let's continue with what makes regression work different from regression work in the third part. Thank you very much, Axel, and I will be delighted to speak to you further about the best ways to do regression and how to deal with the material that's uncovered as a result of regression. Thank you very much, John. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. And to all of our listeners, if you have liked this episode, please give us a like, a friendly comment, subscribe to our channels and share this episode via email and on social media. And make sure to follow up with the next episodes. With that said, I'm Axel Hombach, online with Dr. John Butler. Have a great time. Until next time.